1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
2: Welcome to this week's Curism Podcast. I'm Daniela Varek-Tanidi, I am daniela varek i have not been here in a while, but you'll be hearing hopefully more from me. Today I'm joined by Mia Bays. she's the director of Bird's Eye View film and as well an award-winning producer. Uh, Hello, Mia. Hi. Today we'll be talking about a bit about Bird's Eye View, as well as Ringana Nayoni's new future film, her first future film, I'm Not a Witch. So Mia, would you like to tell us a bit about Birds Eye View and how did it get started and what's your role in it?
1: Uh, so Birds Eye View was founded in 2002 as a film festival showing exclusively films by women from mm-hmm. around the world. So it was particularly to bring films that weren't being distributed to UK audiences in order to give access to a very big territory and... Um, from cinema from around the world that weren't lucky enough to get distribution here yeah. and it was held at the BFI South Bank and various cinemas around London and then they had touring programs and uh, it was founded by Rachel Millwood uh, and as they developed they did more uh, programs uh, to help women develop work they did um, a program of comedy shorts And it uh, ran out of steam in 2014. That was the last uh, incarnation of the film festival. Mm -hmm. And Kate Gereva, who works now at Curzon, uh, was the artistic director of the festival for several years and she oversaw the last one. I came on board around that year and uh, I felt that it was a shame to let the social media following that had been built up by the film festival languish. So, I started posting and started, um, and I was running a course called Filmonomics, okay. which is for female filmmakers, uh, which Kate had actually established a couple of years before with me together. And I, so I felt like I wanted to carry on running that and uh, keep posting on Bird's Eye View. Cut a long story short, a couple of years later, we have taken over the organisation. We are not a film festival anymore, we are a, a year round campaign to promote films by women to audiences so Mm -hmm. we're an audience promotion campaign and uh, we also continue working with female filmmakers and also women in distribution we run leadership programs so for us it's about it's industry facing work and audience facing work all around the female perspective.
2: Okay, that's very interesting. And um, there was an event two days ago at Curzon. Um, there was a Q&A that you organised uh, with the director of I'm, a, I'm Not a Witch. Uh,
1: so, yes, we saw I Am Not a Witch uh, a few months ago. we do a lot of events at Curzon, with Curzon Soho, and we were actually cooking up a plan. We got some backing from Film London, uh, us and Curzon, to do a series of three events at the Curzon Soho all-around films by women. Mm -hmm. And uh, we decided that this was a really good... This was the second of three events that we've done at Curzon Soho. Actually, we've done a lot of events at Curzon Soho, but this was a particular season of three films. And we just felt like this was a really fresh new voice. Ranganayuni is the filmmaker. And it feels like such a striking debut. It felt that was something very important to us, is always important to us. The the perspective that it's an, a fascinating perspective of the world that audiences will take something away from. And we felt like this is such a, it's such a fascinating, um, magical realist space that she's created. It's really beautifully cinematic. And Rangana was wonderful in conversation she's very much like her film she's very natural but very clear on what story she's telling and why
2: yeah um the q a was actually recorded so our listeners will be able to hear it after our chat at the end of this podcast uh so maybe we can start just chatting about the film so i'm not a witch is about an 18 year old girl um Shula, who's played by Maki Mulumba. she was striking um, incredible little girl scouted out she basically is accused by the villagers uh, of her town in zambia to be a witch so she's sent to a witch camp where she befriends a number of older women that are accused of being witches as well so wh- what were you, the initial thoughts of yours around the story and uh, what it represents
1: well, I was very struck by Rangano talking about where the idea came from. So it, as she says, as you'll hear her say, she was very she wanted to tell a story about Zambia because she left when she was a young girl. and so I think she alighted on the idea of a girl roughly the age she was when she left. Mm-hmm. She had been trying to figure out find a story, and she found. Uh, that witchcraft was still very prevalent as a belief system yeah. there is actually an act a witchcraft act in Zambian law and people still really strongly believe it so she started to investigate that and she actually spent a month at a witch camp um, in I think it was in Uganda it wasn't in Zambia hmm. and that's where the story really came together and she observed that what happens you know it's always women who are accused of being a yeah. witch, it's never men. Men are witch doctors and they're sanctioned and they're sort of celebrated and they're relatively, they're quite high up in the in the, um, in the, the sort of caste system. But uh, these older women who are always accused are always often women who are widowed. They very often are accused by family members or people in their local vicinity very often after they inherit businesses or run successful businesses or inherit a house after a husband dies. So very often she realised it's about property, that the women become powerful and the society or family want to take that away from the women. And so she really wanted to make some kind of statement on that. Mm -hmm. And I think she does very powerfully because you see these women suffer... Gross indignities, and it's a very strange world. And when you first watch it, you think, "Well, this is very far away from my experience living in London." Yeah. But the more that you think about it, and the more you hear her talk about it, actually, there are lots of there's a relationship between the indignities that women suffer everywhere, yeah, and way patriarchal society works. And I think that's very clever, the Mm -hmm. way she's chosen to tell this story.
2: Yeah, and um, it's quite strange because I didn't expect it to be as funny. It's quite humorous. um, And I think maybe the audiences might be a bit confused whether they should laugh or not. But I think um, Ningano herself, she said that she wanted for people to find humor in it and actually do laugh because that's... Um, which she grew up with and um, when there's like dark moments in your life you want something to laugh at and I thought that was done quite nicely um, to balance out but it does it, there's moments when it's like terrible moments when um, especially when um, the girl is being accused and the witch doctor comes in as you said and he has the power to decide whether she is or not a witch and it's coming down to a chicken dying either inside a circle or outside so if it dies inside she's not if, she, if it dies outside she is uh, I thought as well about how she was being chosen um, because she she's basically given a choice which is a bit it gives you a false impression or the women false impression that they have a choice when they've been taken person to the camp and uh, they tie a ribbon on their back and they are being told that if you cut the you have a choice of either cutting the ribbon and then you'll become a goat and you can leave as a goat, or you can keep the ribbon on and you can be part of this community. And I thought that was interesting because Shula is a little girl. She was an orphan, she didn't have a family. She had this choice of being part of this community or being alienated and she chose to be part of it. And so were the rest of the women, I suppose. Because uh, they're already alienated by the communities. What What interested me a bit was that sort of belonging and not trying to question whether actually cutting the um, ribbon would make them goats. So it made me think a bit of um, the cave allegory, um, you know, that Socrates had mm-hmm. proposed, um, of like being confined in space or a society. Where you know certain things and you don't want to know. Furthermore, um, what would you say about it?
1: I, that wasn't my interpretation. Okay. I think
2: that they
1: the whole thing is so crazy
2: uh-huh.
1: that they they go along with it in some sort of. I don't think they're quite in a stupor because I think they don't. They know they do have a choice, but the choices are very limited.
2: Yeah,
1: and they go along with it because yeah they don't, there isn't really another option okay does that what does it really mean to be a goat that's such a bizarre com- concept isn't yeah. it and I think that's what she's saying that this whole belief system is I don't think she's laughing at it in the film but I think she's questioning belief systems in general Yeah. and the rules in with which there are lots of rules we all live by mm-hmm. that don't really make any sense and I think that that's what she's sort of making a comment on that that it looks to us easy mm-hmm. to question and go, well you could just leave, you could just cut the ribbon. But it's not life's never that simple. Yeah. What are the other choices for those women? And the whole thing is just so bizarre. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I, I like that comment within the piece. She said that she was given a script note early on which said, Why don't you make Shula more sassy and we talked about that last night that uh she said she doesn't have a choice she's a very she doesn't even know she has a choice yeah they're so low down in the tribal structure that they're not something a concept like empowerment Mm -hmm. doesn't exist to the child or to the women they are just told what to do and they do it and they don't they they they're not educated within a structure that makes them understand even that power can be questioned yeah they just have to do it and she didn't want to make she said it was too easy to make the child become empowered that's a sort of hollywood version
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: the child learns the child looks the child says this is terrible, the child un- overturns everything and escapes and lets everybody else escape. That wasn't the film that she wanted to tell, uh, the story she wanted to tell. And I love that. It's mm-hmm. much harder, the, yeah. co- the story that she chose to tell.
2: Yeah. And talking about beliefs, um, in some point in the film, I was questioning whether some people under the government if they actually did believe in witchcraft or whether they used it as an excuse to keep certain traditions and actually um, use the witches obviously for free work and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rangana was interesting on that as well because I asked her if she believed in, in witchcraft and I think really that it, what you just said is it's a sort of convenient belief mm-hmm. in some ways <laughs> For a patri, I mean, actually, Zambia is a very matriarchal society. She said, actually, okay. women are very much in power. She grew up with a grandmother and, I believe, her mother. the The kind of family structure is, you know, women are equal. There is never a difference. Okay. Uh, what the story she's telling wasn't pro- fully reflecting Zambian society. She was making a comment, I think, more generally on that most societies, many societies, are patriarchal and very often belief systems are always at the disservice of women and often to disempower women. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's very often... We saw it here in Europe in the medieval era when women were... It was women's sexuality and menstruation and uh, empathy was... Was demonized, was made into something that was magic and mysterious. It, it's happened in every culture in some way.
2: Yeah, and um, talking about the empowerment and patriarchy, from the governor officer that um, officer's wife, that um, she used to be a um, child as well, being accused of witchcraft and. Um, she managed to um, get married and then that earned her respectability. So she was able to cut the ribbon and that's... It was her way of saying to Shula that if you obey and uh, if you're like a good girl, you'll be able to get res- get married and get respectability. Uh, that, of course, later in the film um, is seen as not truth anyways. Even marriage cannot m- s- make you... Being respected because we see um, his wife being um, verbally abused on the streets when she wanted to do some shopping, so you were ta- you talked about the patriarchy, and do you think that 's one of the main things within the story then
1: the comment on the patriarchy yeah. yeah, I think so, absolutely because I think you know there are lots of parallels you know in Western society too that very often you know for lots of women still marriage is seen as some way of escaping what you the past or or uh gaining some kind of respectability and actually i think i agree with the comment i think it, within the film which is that it doesn't you need to find that for yourself some women don't have the choice uh so i like that i thought that was very cleverly pitched to that aspect of the film actually because you know the way that she tells her to. The way that the wife tells Shula that story, she says it. What we realise, I think, is that she wants to believe it herself. But then we know later that it's not true. Yeah. And it it got her out. It changed the, her life. But it's it's it doesn't. She hasn't escaped.
2: Yeah. She still has not earned the respect that she deserves, or any other women. Eh? in that fact, actually. I wouldn't talk about it, but the music, actually. Um, the film opens with four seasons by um, and that, as long as the humor kind of remind me a bit of The Lobster, and that sort of tragic comic um, weirdness that he has as well. And the music, juxtapositions as well, what's happening, and then later on, there's some more popular pieces, like contemporary pieces which uh, was interesting because in, at first when you think of like a witchcraft story or whatnot, you think of like an older film, but that's something that's happening right now. And also it was interesting about how the witches are being presented to tourists. Foreign people come and they take pictures of them. There was a quite of like disturbing moment um, when Sheila was hiding and there was this woman that came and she was like, oh, are you okay? Uh, but then she just wanted to take a picture with her. What, what did you think of that?
1: Um, well, on the front of the music, we didn't actually talk about that in the Q&A, but we didn't end up having time, but okay. yeah, I thought it was very striking. I I think that um, it was a reminder that you're, I think it, you have very particular ideas about what Africa is and what it sounds like mm-hmm. and what it looks like and the kind of stories that will export to us. And I think she was... all Everything she does in that film, Rangano, the filmmaker, was is unpicking your um, the clichés yeah. and that classical music can exist in this world, uh, even though it's non-diegetic sound that she uses. Uh, so we don't know the source of the, of the music. It's not that she doesn't use any rules. Um, but I love that, I thought it was clever, because it, it uses, you don't, yeah, you don't, it's not what you expect, and it's very bravura, and um, it sets a tone of uh, uncertainty, and that you know you're not in social realist territory, yeah. and I thought that was great. She used it well.
2: Yeah, I think the entirety of the film actually makes you real, makes you break down some sort of stereotypes that you have about... African culture or um, how people are seen. Um, and um, I think that's one of the biggest powerful points of it and um, it's to educate the audience, um, especially here in Britain when we don't even really know that much about it or from Greece where I'm from, really. Um Yeah, and um, again, that contemporary feel to it, it, I thought it was really incredible. It just made you being more aware of um, the society and um, th- the tourism as well as we as just mentioned before, and how people I suppose when they go and visit uh, Zambia, they don't really think about it um, uh, carefully that these women are actually being held there and they've been treated like um, a statue, but not a respectful statue, just like a clown orange show or show something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rangana talked about that. She said, you know, that she was trying to make a comment on that. But equally, she's guilty of being the same in a way because mm-hmm. she's still a tourist. You know, she's, from, she's from Zambia, but she lives now in Wales. She doesn't really fit into either one of those places. She said they're not as different as one would imagine, which is interesting that Zambia mm-hmm. and Wales are not so different. Uh, but she said yeah she was she went to one of those camps and she was an observer and you know she can leave and she had a choice and so in a way the film is as guilty as as those camps are as being in some way a tourist trade but she's making a deeper comment I think and and yeah the fact that those exist is just so bizarre I mean I didn't yeah. know that, I found that fascinating
2: Yeah I had no idea until when I when I read that it was based on like real witch camps I was very surprised but it was really intriguing to learn everything about it and learn more about her as well um, She's it's her first feature film so it's quite fascinating how she managed to capture all that uh, within it and um, I'm sure we can expect a lot lot more films in the future from her that are very exciting. Is there anything else that you would like to say about the film or Roundup?
1: Yeah, I just hope that it's a hit, because I think, you know, for us, our mission at Birds Eye View now is to bring great films by women to audiences. Mm -hmm we want to do that in a sophisticated way so it doesn't work for anyone to say this is by a woman so therefore you should go and see it. It's all about privileging really powerful cinematic perspectives which I'm Not a Witch is a very strong example. Rangano has a lot to say. I think she's a very fresh voice. Don't feel like I've seen this film before. And I'm really interested to see what she does next. And... It feels like a really very, very strong year for female cinema. We saw at London Film Festival, the Lynn Ramsey film, You Were Never Really There, Here, You Were Never Really Here. <laughs> uh, um, the Angels Wear White. Uh, we saw, I'm really looking forward to Professor Marston and the Women, Mudbound by Dee Reese. Uh, there's some really strong work And uh, The Prince of Nothingwood, which is coming up in December. Those are just a few of really strong films coming up by women. Some of them British, some of them international. And so for me, it feels like those will, I hope, they're some of the most challenging, interesting work that I've seen. And I look out for female perspectives but I watch male perspectives too and for me like the w- what's happening with these very unsentimental very fresh voices Lynn Ramsey I mean that film is really oh I mean, mind-blowing I thought it was a masterpiece I'm really and to uh, you know for me it's that's really exciting that the best stuff's coming out and you don't have to make an exception and say oh it's by a woman so like it it kind of doesn't really matter yeah um who's made it it does to us because it, for us it's about making sure more films by women are are not just seen but watched and do more money at the box office and then more of those are made and more of those are picked up that's our mission and it feels like the works making it easy for us in a way at the moment because there's so much great stuff and this being a perfect example
2: yeah and it's just to create as well um some sort of like the security towards young women that are now just getting started in the film, film industry and filmmaking. Because obviously for a long time it's been like a man's sort of predominant industry. Uh, and it's lovely to see just more incredible women just coming up and sharing their stories and showing how open, well amazing they are. Also Sally Potter's party opened last week.
1: Yeah, I love that. The party, I thought, was really... And that's really worked. And then there's the Sophie Fiennes um, Bloodlight and Bammy as well mm-hmm. that's coming up. Yeah, there's some stunning stuff. It really is powerful. The party is hilarious, and that seems to have worked with audiences. So I'm yeah. really happy. I hope that holds on.
2: Yeah. So thank you for listening. Uh, you will be able to listen to the Q&A after this. I'm Not a Witch opens today, and it will be on our Curzon Home Cinema as well, so if you can't make it to the cinema, then you can just watch it uh, to your living room. Thank you very much. Uh, It's bye from me.
1: Bye-bye from me. Please follow Bird's Eye View (laughs) on Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Rangano Nioni. think they may be liked it. Um, So Rangana, let's start from the top. Um, Where did this idea come from? How did it come about?
3: Um, This idea came from, I I can't remember what it was, but it came from a place of anger, but I can't remember what it was. (laughs) But I know there was a time I was really depressed about something. And I suspect it was to do with the fact that, um, I think it was something to do with my career and (laughs) i'm sure it was that i'm trying to pinpoint the time but um i think i because my partner is also a director and and by then i think i did some kind of success with my short films it's it's really a long-winded way to get to this point but i had success in my short films like i'd won a a Welsh bafta and i'd been invited on it and i feel like i wasn't progressing and i somehow felt there was something unfair about that and i was really angry and, and the people that inspired me when I got to go through periods of depression are, are people like my grandmother, and my grandmother was a big rule-breaker, so
1: she... she was, was quite a character, right? She was, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> she...
1: Um, Why? Um, Tell us.
3: She, um, she lived at a time, because it was a time when it was called Northern Rhodesia, Zambia, and it was, ruled, it was under British protectorate, not colonized, but protectorate by the British, but they were still the administrators mm-hmm. of Zambia, in fact, And um, at the time, women weren't allowed to own businesses, land, anything, and she managed to have a hustle and she owned land through putting it through her son, which was my father, and she owned horses, she used to own a truck company and she used to drive to Kenya uh, by herself and just deal with goods, imports, exports, and she was a mechanic, she could fix those trucks and fix tankers, that's how my father learned to be a mechanic. So she was really like a woman who lived by her own rules. And, by, and then it was like uh, illegal for interracial relationships. My grandfather's Spanish, and she got with him. And, uh, and despite the rules, and when they found out they deported him, and then her next lover was Dutch. Um, so she didn't care. And so I love the fact that she broke rules and there I was feeling like I'm limited by rules. And I also find it fascinating how difficult it is to kind of break rules. So it came from there. Mm-hmm. And, then I, and then there was lot, lots of witch accusations in the summer that was in Zambia and they're all against women. And I found that fascinating that
1: we all go along with these rules that are imposed on us that are kind of absurd. So mm-hmm. it all started from there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as you, to, to carry that thought on, so it's usually old women that are, are, are accused and it's often widowed women who have inherited a house or a business and very often it's because the family or someone else may want that business.
3: Yeah, well, sometimes it was like... They didn't, sometimes they didn't inherit the business, but they became widows, so they had to kind of fend for themselves. Yep. And wh- where I was particularly, because Zambia is actually matriarchal, and I, t- I didn't see how it's matriarchal, mm. it's super patriarchal. So I thought, how's this part? Then I went to and I was like, ah, this is matriarchal. Mm-hmm. matriarchal. It's very different structure, mm-hmm. and I got a lot of my references from there. So yeah, they... Um, a lot of times they inherited the business, but sometimes they'll start a business to survive. And if it did well, then they'll screw because someone will get jealous and say that they're a witch, and that's the reason that the business is doing well. Mm-hmm.
1: And how did you find out about the witch camp?
3: I knew about the witch camps anyway. I don't know, it was through just kind of reading. And I, I watched a document a few documentaries about witch camps, um, and I was fascinated by that. But it didn't quite click together until I kind of Saw it myself in Musaka, so I kind of put these two together. Yep. There are witch camps in Zambia. They're a little bit more disparate, a little bit less organised. Yep. I visited a chief who had a witch camp. He kept witches in his palace, um, and yeah. So I so but I went to Ghana because they have the oldest ones and the most organised ones. So I wanted to see what that looked like, and so that I went to go and research actual witch camp.
1: And you, you spent a month there. I
3: spent a month there,
1: yeah. Were you writing as you were? I was writing. What books. were you doing? Were you being a witch? What, how were you yeah, existing probably. in this camp?
3: Yeah, I was, I was sort of, no, I was living there with them. Mm-hmm. They'd given me a hut. So I lived there just to see what it was like. But it was very, like, I, I don't know if you've ever been to, like, a normal African village in rural it's like this. So I didn't, and I have stayed there. So it wasn't that, it wasn't much of a culture shock. Um, it's the same thing, No electricity, you have to fetch your water, they live off the land. The difference is it's populated by older women. that was the only difference. And they had uh, some kids, but those kids were their grandkids were sent there to look after them. So like, some of them were blind, for example, and they had grandkids to look after them and cook for them and do all sorts of things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why did you choose to, to tell a story? In So you left Zambia when you were around the age of Shula, is that correct? Yeah, and you went to live in Cardiff, that must have been quite a shock.
3: No, it wasn't that... Yeah, it wasn't. Ta- tell
1: us about that, the perspective.
3: I don't remember, the only memory I have, I remember sort of getting on the plane, I remember landing and I remember going to Cardiff and thinking there were lots of people that all squashed together, because we don't have that and they're all quite spread out. I don't remember thinking there were lots of white people, and I think that's something about Wales, it's very, I did support, you know, support things, they're used to seeing everyone, so I wasn't treated very differently, so I didn't think I was that different, so I remember thinking I had an accent, and I had to, to, to mimic that accent, I remember that, I remember mm-hmm. trying to mimic a Welsh accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, But I don't remember much else. I remember it being cold, but not, and we lived in a we moved from like a very spacious apartment in Lusaka to a, a studio in in Cardiff, it, and we all lived as a family. It's, it's actually a bedsit, so we had to share everything. But I I remember thinking everything was smaller, but not mm-hmm.
1: much else. And so, why did you decide for your first feature that you wanted to tell a story set in Zambia? Yeah,
3: I was tr- actually trying to think of one in Wales, so I thought it would be. Um, but I know something
1: yeah, it's not an easy pitch, this, no, is it? No, it's not. Yeah.
3: And everyone's thinking, I'm going to get, unless it's in English and it has, like, Idris alpha, like you know, I'm going to get <laughs> And I was like, no, it's not Zambia, it's not going to work. So I, um, I thought, I was thinking about other things, I was trying to be strategic, but in the end these ideas of the witches which have suddenly clicked one day when I was writing mm-hmm. and it felt natural mm-hmm. and I just kind of just went with that and mm-hmm. worried about
1: where I'm going. And did you start pitching and people s- started to respond or was it really hard? Were people like, what, witches? No,
3: it was it was hard because I also, <coughs> pitch, like, it started off really a different story. It was about women living in Saka and no, all based on, on my aunt about different, I had different aunts and my grandmother, and they kind of were characters, they populated this character, this like cosmopolitan, I don't know, Moussaka. It was was a different story. So I I started pitching early just because people (laughs) warned me that films that are uh, shot in any part of Africa don't get money. So I started thinking, okay, what I can do to get money. So anything that had like a prize. I would be there pitching. And sometimes at the early stages, I didn't know my story, so I'd just make up a story <laughs> and hope i And then I didn't win. Like, there was one I didn't win 10,000 years. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't win. But it was just a made-up story. Um, and and I was trying to raise money that way. And then and then when I went to the camps, that informed a lot of mm. After I came back from the camps, I was like, I know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I pitched it, and I got some money mm-hmm. from that. So, yeah, it was...
4: Mm-hmm. What was the question?
3: <laughs> yeah, around. you answered it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm sure. Um, tell us, there's a great story about how you cast Shula. So um, tell us that story, because you in, you you auditioned a thousand girls. Yeah, I auditioned nearly a thousand girls. It was, it was
3: 970 something. I remember it was because the reason I remember is because we had a meeting about it and everyone was upset that I didn't pick a, a girl and I woke like 10 days before shooting. And they're like, you just have to pick someone.
1: Wow, you still didn't have your lead 10 days I before shooting. I didn't want
3: to compromise with it. Wow. I said, like, no, I just don't, isn't, I haven't found her. And then um, and then my 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 main husband, who, um, I call him my main husband, it's a joke because I can have fewer husbands in my,
1: Culture. Wow, nice yeah. work.
3: Yeah. So I called my main one just to warn him like <laughs> <laughs> that something
1: can happen. That he's got so a, a bit, bit more responsibility. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I
3: mean, more responsibility if my whole <laughs> <past laughs> husband comes along you know, he'll still be my main husband. So so my main husband uh, was also my location manager and he, we came a few months before we got the funding. We were looking for locations and he took a picture of a girl in one of his recce's uh, on a peninsula and he found her really interesting looking and then he showed me the pictures, yeah, she's interesting, I think she's great. She's fabulous, great. And then um, when we had gone through, when we came back to actually shoot the film, we relocated somewhere else. And so I started auditioning all over again. And. Well, I didn't start auditioning, I started auditioning. And then he, when I went through the thousand, he reminded me of this girl, I said, you thought she was interesting. I said, yeah, but what does that mean? I mean, it doesn't mean anything. We had a meeting and everyone was really desperate. They said, what well, gonna find her and bring her down and you can audition her? I'm like, yeah, but it's not gonna happen. And I was a, really a down. I was really depressed. That I'm valuing anyone. I said, you're not gonna do it, let's just keep looking. And I said, no, we'll find her. So just based on the picture, they, they took a picture of it and they sent it they they texted it and they whatsapped it to her chief her local chief and he's great because he's an i think he was in the Zambian air force so he's very like if he's given something to do he'll do it and so we're going to find her and then he sent out his people and they <laughs> they, they went everywhere bars and they found his uncle in a bar and she, and then he was like, and, her. and then yeah, they took a picture of her and sent her back to me. I was like, mm, maybe that's her. And they brought her down and, and met her. And it took me three days to realize that she, she I put I her through a rigorous audition. And
1: I knew it was Did she even know what an audition was? Probably, no. no.
3: She thought she was being set. She remembered him taking, said, oh yeah, the white man took a picture of me. <laughs> she told me this. Said, yeah, that's my, that's my main husband. Um, she remembered him taking a picture of her. And she thought, because he was a white dude, um, that he was sending her to school. So she came down thinking that she's going to go to school. I said, no. And school.
1: she's never been to school. She, she hadn't. never been to school, yeah.
3: ever. She hadn't even held a pen when I... She's really from a really, like, village raw. But, no, it's for different reasons, because her cousins had been to school. Um, but she had, she had never been in her family. So she... Um, she thought she was going to school. So when I heard that, I said, no, no, we're gonna send you to school. Um, but now it's an audition. <laughs> um, so she auditioned and she kind of, you know, but she'd been told, it's really interesting, she'd been told when she came down that uh, not to come because we, we were witches. I was a witch and I was gonna cut Wow. Off, yeah, and kill her and use her for my potions, my magic. I didn't know this. So when we auditioned her, she was really tense. And we just had like a big camera, and I, i had no clue. I was like, oh my, she's so tense. She's so, miserable. she's so tense. Of course, she's been told these horrible things. I've no clue. If I'd known, I'd have probably been easier in a little bit. But she took it in I stride, And I could, she's very like, she's like the film when she's not talking endlessly. She's like this. She's a chatterbox. But when she's, um, when she's quiet, you can see her observing and processing. And she's so smart. Like when we shot the film, this was last year in August, uh, we sent her to school in January. Mm -hmm. By May in Cannes, she was a fluent English speaker. Wow. She couldn't speak a word. Wow. She couldn't
1: say a word when we're on set. So that's how smart she is. Wow. So can you talk to us about um, the cinematography? Uh, It's shot by... An amazing Colombian cinematographer who did *Embrace of the Serpent*. <laughs> so, talk to us about that choice and how you work together, because it's stunning to l- watch. Well, David,
3: it was a mixture of things. So, I—I I I, I'm afraid of DOPs. Because DOPs. I don't know if it, you have any filmmakers here. DOPs are super macho. I don't know if we, do we have filmmakers here or DOPs. We got any
1: DOPs? <laughs> do
3: you know? do any DOPs? <laughs> uh, DOPs are super macho. They're super like, yeah. In my film, and you have to kind of impress them. So I was trying to find someone who was kind of down to earth, and I interviewed a few. Uh, it, and what I noticed in the interviews is, no one asked me why I wanted. They would tell me what what it is my film was. I was like, interesting, great. Right? Um, actually, a lot of times I would referring to *Voice the Serpent*, and three DOPs saying your film is Like a Brace the Serpent." I'm like, why am I talking to you? Why am I talking to middleman? Let me just go to the guy. <laughs> like, uh, so I contacted him on Facebook in my Google Translate Spanish. I wrote to him. Wow. I want, I love you, you're great, Like, be my DOP. And then when he spoke to me, the, the when we spoke, we spoke on Skype, the, the other DOPs I'd met in person, and they were great. They just, I just felt like I might be overwhelmed or something. Um, when I met him, he, I asked him, so what do you think about the look of the film? And he said, I think we need to find it together. <laughs> so, this, like, you were
1: sold. I
3: was sold yeah. together. So we found it, we found the language, we're both really similar, like simplicity, not overshooting, like we say everything in one shot or two or three maximum. So we had. we were totally on the same line and I wanted it to read like a storybook. So even if you can't, you don't understand what's happening you can read it like you would read a fairy tale book so that we decided on that and we never strayed, even when we went out of time or we were frantic or you know things were going wrong we always kept to our rule um so that was really
1: important so before we open it up to the audience i just have one more question so there's an, a real act in zambian law called the witchcraft act what do you what are your thoughts on witchcraft <laughs>
3: I don't know, I don't know about witchcraft. What the only thing, because what I don't like about it is it's aimed at women. Yep. That's the thing. I'm talking games. It's really always women. And when I met one of the witch, when when I met one of the sorry the the chiefs, and he he kept witches for a while. He kept them, and then he told me, I said, but why are they always women? What? Because he's also a witch catcher, witch finder. So it's about why they always women? Like you catch us. You know what, Bragano? The problem is women are very evil and they don't even know it. Whoa. All types of evils. I went, like, okay. <laughs> sure, that's fine. And that guy, he prides himself. He's like a modern chief. He was educated, I think, somewhere in Switzerland. So it's not like lack of education. Wow. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, so it's not lack of education. What is it? It's just pure and utter. Suddenly, yep. that's what it is so um so that's a bit of the games before when i initially done my research i found different types of witchcraft like i found like a voodoo camps where they have like kids and they teach them voodoo so there's a different kind of witchcraft i understood they even have wizards in some places but the idea that the bad the evil witchcraft and then which shot is a mostly man and mm. which off the evilness comes from
1: women is a bit that I, I didn't mm. like, that's mm. all. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's throw it open to questions. Um, if you can put your hand up and there's a, have we got a roving mic? I
0: think we do, yeah. Hi, um, beautiful film, absolutely loved it. Saw it on Sunday, had to come back for more, see who directed wow. it and uh, everything that comes with. Um I have an anthropology background, and so when I was looking at the film, I wondered whether you'd, as much as you've got cultural identity there, whether you worked with anthropologists or you had any cultural references regarding the ribbon, um, the just, just the whole application of witchcraft itself, um, and... Yeah, just, just how that worked for you or whether you just worked completely individually and you just decided, as you said, to go from camp to camp or whether it was something slightly more formal.
3: Yeah, no, I so what I do first when I write is I want to write something sort of kind of from my imagination so it's not affected by anything, so it comes sort of from my gut. Then then when I got lost, I want to see what the real thing looked like. So that's why I went to Ghana. And, and I, 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 I visited a few witch camps around there. So I was in Patinga, which was very rural and like a village, but there were others that were kind of more urban and had like up to 300 women. So my thing was, um, and then I went to Zambia as well. So it, was, it wasn't about making it authentic for me. It was just about getting an idea of the, the sense of it. And you can't actually but you get, so, I've, and I also researched, and I didn't go there, stuff in Nigeria, stuff in Liberia, you get a, like an amalgamation of something that's similar, and so I, I threw it onto the screen. So one rule, obviously when you're accused, for example, that's which they all have in common, it's like you're guilty, almost, it's like you're guilty. So it could be a dream, someone had a dream about you, could be some something dodgy about you, so I, I kind of was getting the essence of the real thing and, and putting on the screen that kind of, so it's an amalgamation. So the ribbons, for example, came from this idea that, so they always restrict the women. And the, what they all have in common, even in Zambia, Ghana, and other African countries, is once you're a witch, someone gives you solace. So in Zambia, the chief gives you this palace to live in to avoid you from getting killed or you're exiled to that palace to avoid you getting killed or something Garnet's it's a witch camp that the it's held by the chief and in it they control what you do and you always have to work that's what they want to you have to work for free to show your gratitude for getting shelter so you're exiled, you have a place but you have to work almost like, like slave labour
1: Is there a time limit on this? No Right. So you're not sentenced.
3: Mm, no, there's no wow. time limit. So, the, and they the way to control them, like in Ghana, there's an invisible shrine, which stops you from flying or committing evil. And if you do it, the shrine means you'll die or something like this. And then in Zambia, they have a concoction, and sometimes they, it's chalk that they draw that it sets your boundaries but they're all controlled in this kind of mm. belief system. Mm-hmm. And there's no time limit, but in the Zambi one, the chief I met, I, his witches were not there, because he said, oh, I can feed them. They were hungry, so I mm-hmm. let them go back. Like, it was so flippant with it, you know? So, um, so but they worked for him on his fields for free, so that's what they all had in common. So I kind of looked at that research to kind of inform. I always love my feelings, it was my anger towards it is the thing that drove mm-hmm. the script
1: and the story, mm-hmm. rather than something like the real. Mm-hmm. And it was a fairy tale. I wanted to make my a fairy tale. Lots of things. Question
3: there was a question at
1: the back. Uh, lady in the middle, yeah. Um ooh. Uh yeah, amazing film. I just wanted to ask, I suppose it feels very relevant, kind of the past year or so, but particularly at the moment. Um for women in general I feel like there was a lot women could kind of take from that film Um and I suppose I'm just curious to know because obviously you left Zambia when you were around 8 eight or 9 years old how much you feel just being a woman in the UK has influenced it or, or being a black woman in the UK has influenced it or being a woman from Zambia I'm, I'm just it's interesting to know kind of the different influences you've taken and how they've created this film that kind of transcends its immediate focus? That's,
3: that's a good question. I, I, um, I, I have different experiences about being a woman depending on where I am. So, for example, uh, as a director, I'm a woman when I'm in the UK, but I'm not when I'm in Zambia because all the directors I know are, are women in Zambia, so it's not a thing. But it's a thing here and it is an issue. And I don't have a problem so much about getting crew and getting listened to as much in Zambia as I do here, for example. And there's some things that are ahead in Zambia and there's some things that are not so ahead. So as much as, so my family, and the women in my family, they, we, they're all educated to a high level. They had jobs and their families. That was never an issue. So you, that's why I had it was important to have a woman, female police officer and women and then mm. a chief nurse. Because it's never been a problem in Africa about women joining the army, women in Zambia, let's say, not Africa, joining the army, women going being police, that hasn't been an issue. And lots of people commented on it when they were there, like lots of British crew. They're like, "Well, women sort of are everywhere doing everything." I said, "Yeah." The other th- problem we have is the cultural side. So it's this idea, um, and I think it's wrapped a lot in Christianity. It's maybe controversial, but. I'm a Bamba, and Bamba are matriarchal, and women aren't lower, lower, they're the same. and uh, and the, So there are lots of things that I grew up with, and there are lots of contradictions, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it comes from Christianity, because Chris, Christianity is about serving uh, the man a lot. That's why the mixture come, mix-up comes. That's why on one hand you can have one thing, on another other hand you have to have like I'm old and I'm, I'm I'm barely married and I'm I don't have children and that's a huge pressure in Zambia because I don't have it mm-hmm. in Britain as much. It's still there, but I don't have it as much. And so it's it's different things and different kind of um, countries that experience. So you almost hold dual identities and you conform to each bit. So yeah, it's it's a. It's a very good question, but it depends, yeah, where I am, so in, in, in yeah, here I have a different set of problems than I do in Zambia, but, yeah. I learned a lot about Zambian about Bamba culture when I was getting married to my, my, my main husband. He, we, we, um, I learned a lot about Bamba through how you treat, because I didn't know that women and men are considered the same, so I wanted a traditional Bamba Zambia, I didn't want it to be, to, I didn't want a traditional marriage. And I got a lot about how women should treat men, how men should treat women. And actually, I don't know you're allowed to divorce. If a man hits you, you can divorce them, which is not the same. It's not the same in real life of how it happens in Zambia. In Zambia, domestic violence is very acceptable. It's a part of it, which is so odd, because it's a con- contradiction to actual, mm-hmm. traditional, traditional culture. So, it's a contradiction that, that's what I was trying to express in the film, a <coughs> huge contradiction mm-hmm. between modern and tradition.
1: Um, Rangano, I had another question for you actually, um, I, I spotted in one of your interviews that um, a script note was given to you to make Shula more sassy, yeah. um, and I just really wanted to hear your, <laughs> you had quite a big reaction to that, so um, I'd, it's kind of interesting to hear, you relay it. But sassy
3: is a term definitely
1: used for women of colour in Britain for sure, like girl, Right.
3: this kind of thing, so they wanted to make me like that, I think in that in the thing but I really wanted to make it from a village an orphan girl who doesn't have anyone doesn't have this agency or this idea about injustice, or they don't have this idea that they have a voice and I wanted that to be truthful mm. so they don't have this idea that something's wrong, because you need to be something of a higher ranking or think of yourself higher to know what is an injustice Mm. sometimes. So I needed her to be sort of, and she's a close representation of me Mm -hmm. and this idea that in real life, so film is different, so I can make her into this hero girl and this girl that goes, questions everything goes, what's happening here Mm. and this is silly, I'm a child and I know Mm. it, you don't know it, but, I wanted her to be like a quiet hero, Mm -hmm. really reserved, because in real life, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. Because they're colluding in their sort of oppression. Mm -hmm. They're they're also accepting that this is a belief, the women too. And and I was trying to explore how difficult it is to break away from Mm -hmm. that, um, this collusion they have with the oppressors in a way. So, and and the girl was that, but she wasn't this thing, it's just a slow realization So this, maybe I should've just been a go. Just that simple, I wanted it to be as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Not this big, um, even though it is big, it's big, obnoxious, the end bit. But I wanted it to be really just taking it all in, observing mm-hmm. and and realizing the choice that she mm-hmm. has and the price that she has to pay for that choice, mm-hmm. so.
1: Yes, question at the front, fine.
0: Yeah, thank you, first of all, um, yeah, I loved it, it was brilliant. Um, I kind of want to ask you a question you might not want to answer about the ending, um, just because the symbolism is so important. Um, i was just wondering if you could speak about why it rains after Sheila dies, because that was... Because there, you know there are so many obvious choices with the symbolism, I was sort of I would be interested. you might want to talk about it if, if you could tell us why you chose to do that.: what do you, what do you think? Um, Well, I suppose I think for me, the drought kind of felt like, um, you know uh, because she was being abused, that that the, you know there was this drought, that was almost kind of an expression of, of her abuse. So when it rained after she died, I kind of wasn't sure. Why? Um, so that's why I'm asking you. Um, you don't want to answer, <laughs> no, okay? Yeah.
3: Because I wanted. It's the first time, you know, films. So yeah. Walking. Yeah. I wanted everything, so I wanted like a multiple kind of interpretation of the ending. Yeah.
0: No, I understand that. I, I know that's why I know it's a cheeky question. It's just I'm interested.
3: So one, one of the interpretations I wanted was like if it rains. Um, Oh, the lady there. Sorry, sorry the lady no, there. No, 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 no. Sorry. Um, so I was, I, I, in a way, you know, the things I had an idea of and what I got in the end were maybe very different. So one of the interpretations, because I wanted several, yeah. of the rain was this idea that even with the rain, even this belief that she could be what everyone was saying that she is, yeah. that the women still choose kind of freedom over right. over staying in the camp. But also it was, uh, yeah, that was one. But there were several others, which I can't remember now yeah. because I'm rubbish. But but the whole thing is, is what I want it to be, and it can be a little bit frustrating is, I wanted the film to sort of reflect, that was really important for me, to reflect like a Zambian fairy tale. Yeah. And if you, and in the can version, I had her saying the fairy tale, but then I thought it was too long and boring, so I removed it. Um, but if you if you ever watch or listen to Zambian fairy tales, they're very bizarre. And someone said that when I was uh, getting advice to just follow it because they're very strange to East Europe. They're structured very differently. Yeah. They have a lot of music. They change tonally. They can be violent. They can be funny. They can be all these things, and they always end up abruptly. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to show. And and the point of Zambian fairy tales in Zambian is Zambies they're made to they are so bizarre that they instigate talking about it. So you're like, but well, what happened? But they're more bizarre. This is like a Hollywood version of Zambri remember it I really they go everywhere and you just can't follow them. And they go, Oh the yeah, she died and you're like oh. Uh and then they go, like, So what do you think the thing is about? What's the teacher? You? And you're like, get everyone gets their own interpretation, so that's kind of what I wanted. To,
4: to encourage Thank you okay question um really well done I love the simplicity of the movie um I'm currently co-producing a movie that's shot in Uganda that's going to be finished in March and I was just wondering what you when you started the movie how did you think that African I mean there's a new take on African cinema at the moment and I think the success that you've had as well have um, helped and I think it's kind of a a rising thing at the moment. And did you expect to do that well when you first started? Did you think um, it's gonna be a lot harder? Did you think that people would um, intake it as well as they did? And how do you think the perception has changed?
3: Um, I'm not sure if it's changed the perception. I had this very, I had this like thing when I was starting out writing it, and I knew I didn't want, as I didn't want a film that really is in a fund, which is like the worst thing you can think in your life. usually I don't write for an gender, but because it's in, a, in Zambia, I was like, I don't want this like calabash. It's called calabashy films where you see um, everything about African culture and everything's like, all dazzled, and oh, they're poor, all oh, they're in a village, and something happens, and I'm like, oh, it's Africa. Or like, like a war thing. The thing is, you can't avoid talking about negative things because this is what kind of makes drama, right? So you can't avoid talking about negative stuff about wherever we are, Zambia, Africa in this case, or whatever. But then you want to also put this idea that it's not just our problem, it's everyone's problem. Mm. So that's what I was really trying to do, because what I get scared about, especially when you see things in Africa, because people don't really have an idea of it. And I, I feel when I watched films, African films with audiences before, is that I always felt that people would watch a film, it would be fine, it would be great, sometimes it's really great, but then you, they go off and be like, oh yeah, there's Africans, they're kind of like this, and it's really bad there, and I feel so bad. But they kind of move on, you know? But I want it to be more like, oh shit, this is all of us, and we're all sort of absurd and and, and part of this problem. When I'm successful, I don't know, it's, it's hard. That's why I was trying to use comedy, so it's kind of humor um, to do it. To engage people rather than kind of watch us as objects that do these things, and then people go off and they're like, Yeah, it's so bad in Africa. And then, and I really want to just be like, Yeah, this is kind of our problem. And, and by the way, congratulations to doing a film and you've done it because I don't think that's going to be easy.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's already done. A
4: a it's lot done. Lot how lot was it? At the yeah, uh, how was the shoot? It was the uh Cool, but yeah. we got through it yeah yeah yeah, okay. well, yeah, yeah. You thank you very much yeah it's very inspirational to see a movie like you doing so well because um what i meant a bit with my question was how it was perceived here did you expect it to be like perceived that well in in can in europe in yeah, that's what that's what i meant by it's kind of arising no i didn't
3: and that's a, you so you pay a price isn't it you make a choice but i was like really on i'm really a thing about i was saying this before about first features mm. sacred naturally expression yeah and you can't apologize for them because you get so it sounds like a lot of money but it's very little money that you get and yeah. i think they have to be an expression of what you think as an artist and then you figure it out as you go they're never going to be perfect they're always going to be flawed they're not but you can't hold it the same standards of course because they're just so
4: but good. you've had a lot of support you've and been yeah
3: and by the way, I didn't think I would, so I I thought the worst, so when I was pitching the project, everyone said, it's not going to be in English? And i like, oh no, yeah. I said, like the Idris Elba thing, they suggest that, maybe you should get him and then get money. So I was like, um, so I was really thinking about, you know, it being local actors, it being in the language that, not so even that it's not English, the language that people speak naturally. Yeah. I wanted to, be, whatever language that was, if it was English, then fine. Um, so that was really important, and I think, I didn't expect the good, the, the nice thing, r- like result. I don't think you go in expecting anything. I didn't expect to be in cinemas. I didn't expect to be sat here. And it, and it was
4: fluent. Did it st- I mean, when you first started, what was the first kind of stride um, of?
1: Sorry, we need to wrap up in, we've literally got two minutes, I'm sorry.
3: Basically, I applied everywhere for funding and then I managed to get, that was the easiest bit in the end. The
1: writing was the hardest and then I got lots of funding because I, I don't know, I applied everywhere and I somehow got it. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty unique pitch. Um, so, Rangana, what next? Do you know? No. Okay. Do you need to get angry?
3: I need to get angry. And I have okay. a list about things that make
1: me angry, okay. so I have to go back and look at that list. Okay. <laughs> <at> <laughs> So before, w- um, if we could ask everyone to please make sure that you fill in those forms, because films like this are very precious, but as you've heard, they take quite, they, they, it's quite hard to get them financed, and it's really important that actually we get feedback, because part of the funding is getting great positive feedback for the film. Um, so please do fill those in and pass them in at the end. Um, Rangana, what would you like to say to everyone as they leave? Um, it's opening on Friday. Tell all your friends,
3: yes.
1: any other parting shots? Yes,
3: because they take it very seriously. I'm now in a new level of box office. Like, oh, box office. So if you can get someone through the door and watch it, please do it's Just
1: one person makes <laughs> a difference.
3: The next person making a film somewhere in Africa, they
1: might be like, oh, hers didn't do one in the box office. It's <laughs> so true. It. Thank you, Rangana Noni.